This is the Namine Solar Light Company podcast, Solutions for Climate Revolution. My name is Francesca and my guests today are Dr. Alison Green, Steve Gladman and the Secondary Green Committee at the Lycée International Winston Churchill School in London. Dr. Alison Green is the UK National Director for Scientists Warning, a union of concerned citizens of Earth spreading knowledge and awareness about climate, economic growth, diet, clean water, population, forests, biodiversity, soil, oceans, and the atmosphere. Alison is a senior academic leader in curriculum and program design. She is an expert psychologist specializing in adult learning and expertise, leaving her academic life behind to focus on environmental activism. She co-edited the Extinction Rebellion book, This Is Not A Drill, and is currently working on her project, Transition Lab, to help anyone and everyone address the biodiversity and climate emergency in our current world of disengaged politics and corporations. Steve has worked with the solar energy industry for 10 years and is the founder of Energy Connectors, a business focused on creating information events and networking opportunities for people who work in the renewable energy and smart grid sectors, stimulating collaboration and synergies that are going to save the world. This podcast today is for the Lycée International Winston Churchill School's Secondary Green Committee to ask our guests questions about sustainable careers. Take it away, Lise International School of Green Committee. So our first question, if you don't mind, is more personal, but we wanted to start in how you both uh, came into the environmental sector. Uh, so like what's kind of the background of the studies and like is something to help us visualize the kind of process you went through to go into the environmental sector? So my my journey into sort of environmental issues is is a relatively recent one. So I often say to people when when I give presentations that I'm sort of, sort of rather late at the party, and, and I do feel somewhat guilty about that. But I'm I'm someone who had been aware of global warming and so on for for some decades, and it was only relatively recently that I that I became aware of just how serious it is. Um, and so whilst my, my academic career was kind of taking off, which was kind of great because I was doing all the things I wanted to do, I was feeling just increasingly guilty and worried about what was happening. And it kind of all came to a head when Extinction Rebellion came about. And I felt that I just couldn't continue with my career in a, in a university, which is all about um, developing curriculum. And as I saw it then, and I still see it now, that universities are by and large um, offering courses and curriculum to students and you know people like yourselves and existing students and students of the future. And it kind of promises a future that I just don't believe is there. So I think this is why this conversation is really important because it's about, well, what will the future look like? You know, because I don't think it's going to look the way it currently, I don't think things will be as they currently are. Um, my background is very dull in comparison to anybody's, um, but certainly Alison's. So I got involved in renewable energy in 2010 um, after working in another industry um, as a director of a company. I, I co-owned uh, that. Um, and since 2010, I've been involved in solar PV and renewable energy generally. And it's been fantastic. Highly recommend it. That's it. There's nothing more exciting no, no, it's, it's... than that, I'm afraid. Okay. This is why you must study hard at school. Yeah, and about that, so obviously we're students, most of us in our school are um, going towards university and further studies, and we're right now looking for where we want to study, what we want to study. And so I wanted to know about environmental and sustainability careers. Could you give us an insight into which sectors of a study you think lies the light the most interesting possibilities for a solution in climate change? I can. I, well, I can try. Um, I want to give you some figures first because then it puts it into context a little uh, to show you how um, the low carbon economy is growing, how it has been growing over the last decade, and, and how jobs are being created globally around that and it's quite amazing. So um, according to ARENA, which is the International Renewable Energy Association, around currently there's around 11 million people globally uh, directly employed in the renewable 
energy sector. Um, according to them, if we had the right um, government policies and economic frameworks in place and low carbon investments from both um, public and private investors um, and private sectors, they forecast that that, could, that 11 million could increase to 42 million by 2050. Um, with another further 21 million employed in the energy efficiency sector. That's things like heat, electrification of transport, uh, smart grid, AI and data management, things like that, um, building efficiency. Um, with another 15 million in the flexibility sector, which is grid flexibility, smart grids, um, uh, distribution of electricity. So, um, what they're saying is that with a low carbon economy driven by renewable energies, we could see that 11 million increasing past 60 million by 2050. Um, just to give you an idea, in 2010, globally there were three and a half million people here directly employed in full-time employment within the renewable energy industry. So we've seen an increase of 200,000, uh, 200,000, 200% in the last decade. Um, a lot of these jobs are um, related to wind industry and solar PV and biofuels. Um, according to our own Office for National uh, Statistics, in January they published some figures. Um, uh, by the end of 2018, our um, re renewable energy economy employed around a quarter of a million in the UK. Um, but as we're seeing in the next two years, as um, things like electric vehicles and more renewable, en re renewable energy is deployed, we can see that increasing um, probably you know, five times, I would suggest. Um, and and the, the low carbon economy isn't just good for reducing emissions and giving us a cleaner, uh, cleaner healthier planet, but um, it also has huge benefits in providing a more just and fairer society. Um, and it's key for, um, for equity, for opportunities, for equality, for both women and men, um, for the poorest in society through cheaper and more accessible electricity and improving human welfare overall. So as an industry, as an economy, renewables are driving that forward, employing a lot more people, giving a lot more people opportunity, and, and making society fairer, I think. So the most interesting sectors and the study uh, to work in, well, obviously, if your passion is one of the uh, uh, STEM subjects, uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, uh, and you can secure further education at uni with, uh, with one of those courses, uh, or in, in electrical engineering or data analytics or computer sciences, material science, etc. Um, you're going to have a skilled job for life and you're going to be able to secure a position in the low carbon renewable industry uh, sector without any trouble at all. Um, and if you can't, don't worry too much about it because I didn't do any of that and I've been okay um, because it will be creating a lot more employment directly and indirectly at every level. Um, from project management to investment, financing, law, um, banking, electric vehicles, wind and solar farms, manufacturing to distrib distribution of the components, um, sales and marketing and services. So uh, the most interesting areas to my mind is renew renewable energy, as you might expect, solar, wind, nuclear, green hydrogen, energy from waste, biofuels, um, electric vehicles, and the electrification of transport generally, um, AI and data management for smart grids is, is a real um, a real growth sector in in a low carbon economy. And um, if I had my years again, I would choose to go there possibly. Low carbon technology companies doing R and D, obviously uh, that's key to everything that's moving forward. Financial services related to uh, a low carbon economy and anything to do with the circular economy and recycling and sustainability. Um, so I'd say look at those companies, uh, look, at, you know, look at working within those sectors because they will be 
crying out for both skilled, qualified, and just passionate, informed people. Um, and remember, all these all these opportunities aren't just limited to the to the UK; they are global. You know, there's a lot of UK companies setting up uh, operations in from sort of Asia to the Americas, um, from Europe to Australia. So, uh, you know, there's lots of opportunities coming out of this. That's okay. super interesting. Thank you, Steve. Do we have a second question? So following up the previous question, um, so as students about the world of um, university and the working world, as it can be quite overwhelming, um, do uh, Alison or Steve have any tips to help us engage as students in sustainable careers? Okay, so I have a slightly different view to Steve, so I don't disagree with what, with what Steve is saying there, but I feel that there's a tendency perhaps to for people who, who don't know the nuts and bolts of what's going on in the way that Steve does to kind of hear um, about, you know, renewables and so forth, as if we are going to continue to live as we currently do and just power everything differently. And for me, that's not radical enough. So my, my, my feeling in, in talking with you is that you guys are potentially the most important people on the planet because you guys are going to be the leaders. You are going to be doing all of the things that we should have done and didn't do. We're the generation that let you guys down. Um, and you guys are the most important people on the planet. And so what you do from this point on is absolutely crucial because you are, you are the future, okay? So I'm very, very passionate about that point. Um, and within, within universities at the moment, there's a lot of discussion about what universities are actually for, because what, what universities have done really, really well is package up curriculum into um, packets of knowledge, and they've delivered that knowledge to you guys, so you can then go and serve the economy, and in a nutshell, continue to make things worse, because that's what the current economic system does. So for me, I think we kind of need to look at education. You guys need to look at education in a kind of holistic way and sort of ask the question, what does each discipline have to offer in terms of enabling us to live sustainably and enabling us to live within planetary boundaries and in enabling us to come away with a sense of, you know, what matters, which is the well-being of every living creature on the planet. It's not just us, it's all of the other life forms as well. It's not just about GDP. So I've kind of I've kind of looked at um, for me every discipline potentially contributes. And I think what we need to do is is ask of each discipline. Well, what what are you doing? What do you have to bring to the party? You know, what are you going to do to make the planet a better place? So I I don't discount any any particular discipline at all. But I think every discipline needs to think outside of its disciplinary box and we need to think about the way that th the ways that things join up so that's one one thing i'd say to you um, in terms of the kinds of choices that you might want to make i mean i'm, I'm mercenary about this i would be I, i've prepared some notes for you um, i would be looking at lists of green universities you know which ones have got the best credentials which ones have got the house in order and Universities, like any other business, will um, focus on their performance. And so their performance is, well, you know, what are they being measured against? And so it's like numbers of students completing and how much they go on to earn. And those are things that might not necessarily concern us in the future, where it's not really about how much you earn, it's, it's how much you've learned and how you're putting that knowledge to good use. So I would suggest that you look at the green credentials for universities. And that's not just about the, you know, whether they themselves are running efficiently, um, you know, with energy efficient buildings. It's things like, well, have they divested from fossil fuels? Are they still accepting research income from you know, the likes of um, BP, um, Shell and so forth? Um, and that information you can you can find out. So you're incredibly powerful because you can vote with your feet. You can say to, to Cambridge, yeah, you might be a great university, but you're still taking money from BP. So no, thank you. So you can you can do that kind of thing. Um, and that would enable you to make sort of informed choices. You can look at the kind of curriculum as well and say, well, have they, you know, is this curriculum kind of anticipating a future where 
you know, X percent of jobs are going to be done, they're going to be automated and done by robots and we're going to be living in this sort of artificial intelligence nightmarish world. You know, because for me, that world doesn't really exist. I don't think that that's where we're going to be in 10, 20 years. Um, so in a sense, there's a kind of, there's a, th th what's at stake, I think, for many universities is the fitness of their curriculum for the future. Um, and a lot of them have not got their house in order. So um, good examples would be places like Manchester, for example, which coincidentally has some of the best climate scientists on the planet. There's Imperial in London. Um, but if you do your research and have a look at the, the green credentials of universities and look at their curriculum, I say, you know, does it embrace things like, as Steve was saying, their regenerative um, economics, um, their Kate Rayworth's work, does it embrace that kind of thing? Or is it just a stodgy old traditional stuff, you know, sort of neoliberal economics and that kind of thing? And you'll get a feel for it then. Are they just you know, trotting out the old stuff or are they really progressive? And I would say go, go with a progressive university um, first and foremost. Amazing insight, Alison. Thank you so much. Cool, Steve, what yeah. are your thoughts? That was here? a great answer. Sorry. What well, are your thoughts on this one? On the question. Um, so, well, I mean, Alison's absolutely right. W what you should be looking for in terms of further education is is, is a more progressive um, um, curriculum. Um, I'm not sure how quickly everything's going to change, even with what we're going through at the moment. And I still think that um, a society driven by data collection is is most likely um, I don't think we are going to get away from that because it does so many good things as well as perhaps not so good um, the whole issue about divesting from fossil fuels that's a big one and and I think we'll come on to that with one of your other questions regarding um, greenwashing but um, but certainly you know Things won't change overnight, even with the after coronavirus. They, the, we, we've all got our fingers crossed that um, society will do things differently. And we've seen that society can do things much differently, uh, and they have done globally for the last six, seven weeks or more. Um, but I think a lot of people will want to get back to normal. Um, they want they will want to start taking holidays abroad and flying again and traveling and and all those things which have uh, been reducing our co2 emissions and greenhouse gases over the last um, couple of three months so um, so change isn't going to be immediate but I think it is as Alison quite rightly says you are the um, we, we've um, messed it up my um, generation and generation before um, have made a good job of cocking it all up it's your generation that are going to make the changes and you can start that right now by deciding what courses to take um, where you're going to take those and all the things that um, Alison has said regarding you know your next step in your education um, but I think um, maybe by not going to a university because they are investing in fossil fuels might not be the best choice for you because it might be the best opportunity for you to take the best course in the best university so you've got to think once you're there what can you do to change it uh, and i think this is the trouble with divesting from fossil fuels generally speaking if somebody takes their money out there's always going to be somebody else who's going to put it in when the price of their stocks and shares has dropped um so i think you need to work with the universities work with anybody that's investing in fossil fuels and try and change the way they do things and i think this is what a lot of groups um pressure groups uh, and investment groups are doing with the likes of bp shell i mean th these are dinosaur companies so um but they are seemingly trying to change and again we'll get back to the greenwashing bit but um yeah i i just think it's uh, it's an opportunity for your generation to make the changes i think you'll do it better by being inside those those places which are not changing quick enough so you can help to enable that change um but the the fact is if you can get out of a good university with a with a globally recognized degree and then start to make the real changes 
um, that's important, I think, because I don't think change is going to come overnight. And it will come from within these companies and these universities and all the other um, criminals and, and baddies in the piece um, a, a lot quicker if uh, it's happening from within rather than pressure from outside. Thank you, Steve. That's so interesting. What it seems like is young people today, really, they can do their research, they can find out what universities sort of have and what they what they do, and they can make their own decision from there. And I think even contacting the university to say, I actually, I'd love to do this course. The only thing that I might have a bit of a reservation about is that you still have funding from, from an oil company. If you were, I want to take this place, but what can you tell me about what you're doing for the future? So there's many options here, I think. So the key thing is that the young people inform themselves about sort of like the, the backstory of what, of what universities and higher education institutions are doing. I think that's absolutely fascinating. It's, it's great that there's, there's a bit of um, a difference in opinion here to get sort of a broad... Well, I think that's that's a really good point I think that you've just made because that feedback to institutions about the basis on which you've made your decision is crucial because they, they can't ignore that and if they get enough of that that in itself will drive change. I love this this is power to the people this is all about this is like empowered purchasing where you spend your money this is what you do where you vote how you vote with your feet I'm, I'm all about this I love mm -hmm. it power to power to you guys young people you've got this. Is there a next question? Yes, uh, Francesca, just to be to be sure, how much time is there left? So just might fast forward. To I've, my time is flexible. If we sure. run over, it's fine. Yeah, I, I, until tomorrow morning, so we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've right, got great. thirty minutes okay, on the cool, clock then. so far, so I, I, you guys go for it. I try to find okay, something. Okay, cool, cool. So I went. To... Sweet. <laughs> so uh, we just wanted to know if you could share with us like the, the significant or prospective projects you're undergoing, both of you currently, and uh, the potential you see in them. Because we heard about Alison's um, transition lab and we know like Steve is involved in, in different projects and so we'd love to hear about it. Okay, so uh, well, my day job is with a large German um, energy company, utility company, and that puts me in touch with what's happening in the renewable energy project sector sort of globally, but specifically around solar PV and I'm talking about large scale utility projects, the big ground mount solar farms that you might just about see uh, over a hedge or as you're passing along the motorway somewhere. Um, again, just to give you some context to this, um, by the end of 2019, the last year, the UK had deployed 13, nearly 13 and a half gigawatt of um, solar energy or capacity of solar energy, which represented 6% of the UK's uh, electricity generation. Um, 20% of that generation came from wind, 12% from biomass, 2% from other renewable technologies such as uh, anaerobic digestion, combined heat and power, uh, nuclear energy generated 19% and the rest 39% from gas and oil, 1% from coal. So clean energy is, is getting there. We, we're sort of almost at, at around the sort of 60% mark of what we're generating and in the UK at the moment, there currently sits in various stages of planning, uh, permissions and readiness to, to build another 7.3 gigawatt of solar. And I'm just talking about solar now, not, not wind. Um, and that will go ahead when the uh, economics um, are right, the cost of electricity is, is sort of reached with parity, or if government agrees further incentives as they did right up until 2015, which really kick-started the whole renewable energy um, sector. So I'm, I'm really excited that we will see a much greater deployment next year, hopefully of uh, large-scale solar farms, more wind farms, and a, a further decrease in fossil fuel-generated electricity. Um, what I see through my own uh, sort of networking and conferencing events, which are outside of my uh, proper job, um, is that more and more investors are, are divesting from investing in fossil fuel companies. They're investing more into renewable energy and low carbon technologies. Um, they're looking at ESG, environmental social governance uh, investing and impact investing. Um, there's more research and trials on green hydrogen as a clean fuel for providing heat because that's really one of the biggest issues uh, um, or biggest uh, areas uh, in, in energy that's missing 
you know, um, heat, most heat is being generated by gas. Um, the other things that excite me are the, uh, um, the energy from waste plants. Uh, there seems to be more of those. There's more opportunities for them, uh, more trials of carbon capture technologies. These are all a bit far away still. Um, government plans to phase out uh, internal combustion engine vehicles, um, and, you know, through to city council-led carbon um, reduction plans. And also one of the best things I've seen, I think, um, is the um, gender balance in the industry generally. Um, it, that's improving all the time. There are now many women in C-level uh, positions as CEOs or chief operating officers or um, chief financial officers, and they're heading up much of uh, the research and science um, that, that, that's pushing uh, the low carbon economy forward. Um, they're leading investment companies, banks, and they're giving everything a fresh, I think a fresh and all-encompassing all approach to the problems we're facing and, and, and have all been dealing with them in a far more cohesive way uh, on these issues than we've ever seemingly done before. So I think there's a lot of um, a lot of positive things coming out of what we're doing. And as, as I say, I think the best thing for me out of all of this is that society is becoming, it's enabling society to become more cohesive, to become more kind to each other, to take into account all the things that really matter, not just money and having things. And, you know, it, it, it's more about um, looking after the society, looking after the people within it and trying to get an equality um, across, across the board. That was wonderfully said, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, in terms of things I'm doing, um, my my life is nothing like the way it used to be when I had a when I had a job. Um, and and I wouldn't, I, you know, everything I do now is is geared towards um, being an activist and somehow having impact. Um, so I'm going to talk about a couple of things just now, and then when we talk about greenwashing, I'll talk about the third thing. Um, I, I've, I've been associated with Extinction Rebellion since they started and it's, it's one of those things, they, they kind of don't go away and they come back and I, I advise them now. So I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm actively part of them, but I'm advising them. Um, and I work very much with, with scientists, whether they're affiliated with XR or not. And one of the things I'm doing, which I think is really important, is um, I will be hosting a ask a scientist a question session and we're running a number of these and they will look at um, a particular issue um, maybe you sort of once a month once a fortnight and the one that I'm doing that I'm quite excited about and it centers on the question why has why has the global response to the coronavirus pandemic been different to the global response to the climate crisis um, you know, because they were they they both are emergencies. Clearly, I would say that the climate and ecological crisis is a far bigger one, and yet the global response has been so muted. And yet we've had a much bigger response to the coronavirus pandemic. And obviously, I've got some ideas about why. But I think it's important that we have these kinds of sessions with with scientists who are experts in their field, who are then speaking to anyone who has the link. So at the last one, we had 25,000 people listening in. And I think it's really important to me that, this, that we actually get the word out about the science, because as you know, across the pond, you know, there is a great big orange buffoon who's, who's talking about injecting people with disinfectant, which is just absolutely nuts. So it's important that people get um, good information and that they're exposed to the science from good scientists and that they that they're shielded from conspiracy theories and or at least if they're exposed to conspiracy theories they can recognize one so so i'm very passionate about um dissemination of information and the scientists using their voice in non-standard ways um and i and i do work with scientists warning and what we've what we're in the process of doing at the moment is establishing a scientist warning foundation and the idea here is that we will expand the remit of scientist warning so the the original purpose of scientist warning was to, to sort of sound the alarm and to say we've got a climate and ecological crisis going on here and i feel 
many people have now woken up to that they're aware of it and so the questions then become well what do we do about it um, so the renewable energy sector of course has been very very active there because they've got on with the job of what we need to do which is transition to a low carbon economy but in other sectors it's not the same and so one of the things that we want to do within scientists warning within the new foundation is actually start to look at the kinds of things that people can actually do so it's kind of picking up on this transition lab kind of didn't have legs and so i've kind of morphed transition lab into this new foundation where we'll be looking at things like um like um, direct air capture carbon capture and so on and working with scientists around that so the idea is that we will be not just sounding the alarm but we will actually be saying okay these are the kinds of things you can do um, and there's, you know, there's a wealth of information out there. Um, so I would point you to things like Project Drawdown, which talks about, you know, sort of prioritizes the kinds of things that we can do that, that will have the, the biggest impact, like refrigeration and air conditioning, of course, are really, are really big there. Um, those are the kinds of things we do, I do. Um, you know, and I, I like I like to speak to people as well. So, you know, um, so Steve has very kindly invited me to give give talks and I do I do I do quite a lot of that because I think it's really important that we communicate about what's going on and communicate authentically about you know what's actually happening and try and reach as wide a group of people as possible and I do lots of press letters and, and all sorts of other things too it's just brilliant that you're getting your your knowledge and your expertise out there Alison yeah I can't thank you enough for your work it's, it's just sounds oh. incredible and so fascinating. You too, Steve. Is there a fourth question? Yeah, actually, it's um, for you, uh, Alison. So we huh? found it very interesting um, how your background in psychology led you to giving a presentation on climate change denial and so on. And actually, we were planning on doing um, uh, an activity around eco-anxiety at school for the Green Week. Um, but obviously it's not going to happen. Um, and we'd be very interested to know what you think about the future of, um, of the future of climate crisis reserves for psychology and more specifically careers in psychology. For example, we've already heard uh, practitioners dealing with so-called uh, ecotherapy and so on. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's a, it's a great question. And, for me psychology is a, is a has been a double-edged it has a double-edged sword as a discipline and i think what what psychology did you know way back in the early days with with freud and before him um an american psychologist called william james and what they've done is shone the spotlight on the human ego and in a sense what they've done is sort of reified this sense of the human ego as being all important so it's all about me i what i want and in so doing we have by focusing so much on the human experience and how we feel about things we've kind of forgotten that we're part of the natural order so i think psychology has advanced our knowledge about who we are it's glorified our egos and it's done that to the detriment of um you know the the, the essence of who we are which is in fact part of the natural order that's one problem that needs to be rectified um, but the contribution that psychology has, has been making in terms of um, the therapies um, is, is huge. And I know from conversations with people who are working on, on the therapies that you know, this, the incidence of eco-anxiety has, has gone up quite dramatically, and especially amongst young people, so people in your, your particular age group, you know, because you're being exposed to um, Greta Thunberg and the school climate strikers, you know, you're being exposed to Extinction Rebellion, which has a kind of, you know, no holds barred approach. But you're you're in that position of, 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 of not yet being able to actually take control and effect change yourself. You know, you can go out in the streets, you can strike and so on, but you're not yet holding down powerful jobs and in positions where you can actually effect change. And it's that sense of powerlessness, which I think is directly impacting young people and giving them feelings of hopelessness um, anxiety about the future and what it might hold because we're, you know we know it's 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 going to be bad um, so i think i think psychology is going to be a very important discipline for the future because 
because we will need people who can talk to all generations about their experiences, um, not just of eco-anxiety, but their experiences of mitigation and adaptation. Um, there are a couple of psychologists I would recommend, and I've, put, I've, I've, I've written notes for you with their websites and so on, but there's a chap called Steve Taylor, who, who's a really fascinating chap, and um, his area of research is on the interface between psychology and spirituality. And he's particularly interested in, in awakenings. And some of us, I'm, I'm one of them, some of us have experienced this kind of sense of awakening where your worldview shifts and you have a sense of yourself no longer as being just this individual entity that is getting on with your life. You have that holistic sense of yourself as being part of something. Um, and Steve's work is, is fascinating and very insightful. And I think it's, it's useful for, for those of you who are kind of exploring what's happening and who, who want to find out more. And really importantly, who need to know that you're not, you're not on your own. Other people are going through this as well. You know, we're all in this together. There's also a lady called Caroline Hickman, who's very active in the Climate Psychology Alliance. And she works with young people in particular. Um, her website information is on the on the sheet as well um, and she both both these individuals are great they have lots of resources there that can help can help you work through your anxieties and fears and apprehensions about the future um, so that that's the downside there, there's a, the upside to it too I think though is that is that psychology offers us ways to reimagine things and I think that you know, Steve's talking positively about the opportunities for the future. And I think there, there are opportunities. And I think one of the things that psychology can contribute is, is a kind of framing of the kinds of situations that we're in. Um, so that we frame things in terms of, um, I'm trying to think, sort of mindfulness um, and, you know, being, being kind to each other, you know, being nice to each other, appreciating what we, we do for each other. And we're seeing that every Thursday at the moment at eight o'clock, you know, people outside clapping for the NHS. So we've, we've all got it in, our, in us to be, to be kind of people, to be good citizens. Um, I also want to just say a little bit here about um, the late Polly Higgins. Um, and she talked about, um, you know, planetary protectors protecting the planet. And I think her work has been really important too in kind of alerting us to our duty, if you like, as you know, planetary stewards. You know, we have a duty of care, not just to each other, but to the entire planet and the way in which it functions. Fascinating listening to oh. you talk. Thank you, Alison. How yeah, you. how are you feeling, Green Committee? Um, so yeah, if I can talk for the rest of us, Go we have a, a few few more points I want to talk about, or for wrapping up. And uh, so I think Steve did talk about it before when he was uh, answering a previous question. And it was about the whole topic of greenwashing and how is this sort of um, well, ambiguous danger of promoting sustainability and eco-friendliness where we're actually reducing the impact of the, the company's environmental damage. And so that seemed pretty easy as we can see it like in advertising every day uh, to paint your products, your service, or your message green without changing it in a, in a meaningful manner. So we'd like to know your vision, how to, to stop companies or the main purity companies from doing precisely that, like just BP having their logo green and so on. That's, that's a stupid example, but if you, if you know what I mean, yeah. No, it's not a stupid example and, and you're right. I mean, these, these um, companies do rely and have relied heavily on, on greenwashing and it, and it continues. Um, but we should take some comfort from the fact that groups such as Client Earth, uh, the United Nations Back Principles for Responsible Investment, Climate Group, RE100 are becoming uh, becoming hugely successful in calling out calling out and stopping um, greenwashing. Um, we've also got countries which are starting to take their sovereign wealth funds out of fossil fuel companies such as Norway. Um, so greenwashing is fast becoming a less successful. Um, way of fooling uh, the people uh, and countries and, and investors know this. Um, the investor community and big polluters, whether they're oil and gas companies or big emitters of CO2, are far more aware uh, that climate change um, can't be greenwashed any longer. And, and um, 
you know, society has become far more aware of the issues through the, uh, the media coverage from people like Greta Thunberg and XR and um, Friday's future school strikes. Um, it, you know, it, it's easily spotted. I mean, I think just recently BP, and that's something to do with mine, and it's annoying, sorry. Um, BP were called out recently by Client Earth for um, their advertising of natural gas being the perfect partner for renewable energy in the transition to a, a clean future. Well, quite clearly natural gas and burning uh, natural gas isn't a, a perfect partner for anything other than uh, probably coal. So, um, you know, we, we've got, we've got, um, I think we've become far more sophisticated and aware of greenwashing um, of late. Um, we have guardians there like Client Earth and, the, and, and Climate 100 um, looking at what's happening. They're picking it up very quickly. Investors are turning their backs on all the big um, polluters that either produce oil and gas or emit it in their production. So um, they are very careful now that they're not caught out. As soon as you're caught out greenwashing, then um, you're sort of named and shamed and um, you know, you lose a lot of investment and a lot of support from wherever you were getting it from. So greenwashing is an issue to deal with. It's being dealt with. And I think that uh, unfortunately people like Client Earth do, um, do exist uh, on, um, by, you know, by people offering their, their, their services voluntarily. So it would be nice to see, um, you know, the rest of us donating money to those um, groups that do such uh, amazing work on our behalf. I'd like, I'd like to jump in there. Um, I, I feel that greenwashing is still prevalent and I don't think enough is being done. Um, and I give as an example the, the recent advertising campaign by one of the fossil fuel companies effectively saying to people that you can drive um, carbon neutral or whatever it is because they were going to offset. Now, I don't believe that. And several of my colleagues actually um, wrote to the advertising standards body and said, you know, this is this is nonsense. How can you allow this? Um, so I don't think there are enough checks and balances in place to stop that kind of thing. Um, you know, Ryanair, you know, they are guilty too. And I, I don't think I don't think there's any substitute or any shortcut here other than for, for you, you know, who are leaders of the future to just acquaint yourself with the facts as to what's happening. Um, but I would be, my, I, I would be, um, you know, be optimistic, but also be be cautious and be sceptical. Um, and just to put things in some kind of context, uh, recently Michael Mann, who is the, the world's leading climate scientist, um, Pennsylvania State University, and he was, he was talking in Australia. And he said that up until recently, the IPCC, that's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, had been saying that we need to effect a reduction, 8% year-on-year reduction in carbon emissions. Now, Michael Mann says the most recent research indicates that actually that's not nearly enough, it's 15%. Now, if you look at what's happened with the coronavirus pandemic, we are looking at a yeah, look at the massive upheaval that we've experienced and then if you look at the impact that that's had on our co2 emissions we're not near 15 percent so that gives you a sense of the the scale of what has to happen year on year if we are to if we are to to meet the paris target and i think there's a there's a there's a tendency for us to be lulled into a false sense of security that because some things are happening it's enough well it's not enough and again, I'd like to quote Professor Danny Dawling from Oxford University. He's just written a book called Slow Down. And he's been documenting a number of measures which, which need to slow down and go into reverse. You know, it's not just carbon emissions and so on. And his research shows that I think from 2015 on, the rate of acceleration of increase of CO2 emissions has been going up again. Okay. So instead of dropping, the rate of increase has gone up. And if you couple that with the fact that the fossil fuel companies have ramped up their production, although the cost of oil has plummeted, so you know, ha ha ha, someone's losing out there. You know, we 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 we're kind of, you know, we we've got to we've got to pull the curve down, but somehow we have got to 
control the um, consumption. So for me, bottom line is there is no avoiding the fact that we have to look to the future with much, much lower consumption. So, so any green that suggests we can have our cake and eat it is for me, I'm, I'm just about to swear, but I won't, um, is, is nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, just picking up on some of the things that Alison said then, I, I do agree with her, absolutely. And I think that, um, I don't think greenwashing is necessarily the biggest issue we have. It, it's changing society's behaviour. Uh, and what we've seen over recent weeks is that we can change our behaviour. I'm not sure how many people like it, but, you know, we are over consuming. We, we do fly too often. And, and one of the good things that might come out of this is that all those bad airlines might go bust. Um, all the ones that are using inefficient engines aren't trying to sort of move the the game forward that, that, that hopefully they will just disappear um maybe it comes to a point where government i think more government intervention is required but most of society doesn't want government intervention it takes away our human rights etc so we have um we have ourselves to blame um we have uh, a reliance on travel and on oil um which as we've seen, isn't necessarily needed. Um, so maybe we can change things. But um, but greenwashing per se, I think, is 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 dangerous. Um, but you know, on the other side, we need to do more educating, and, and and that's where it all comes back to, is is the levels of education that um, that we're growing up with, and you know. A lot of a lot of children aren't getting a very good education at the moment, you know, in in schooling, um, and uh, it's it's a very few percentage of the, uh, of society that goes on to, uh, to further education or university. So um, you know, the whole the whole dynamic of 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 the way we live has got to change somehow. Um, and I think now is the best time we've ever had in the last God knows how many years since the Industrial Revolution, probably, to make those changes um, and for society to accept a lot more. And I think we don't need um, orange buffoons in charge or, or ones that are just recuperating in checkers. But what we do need is probably more of a cross-party coalition where we can have a truer reflection of society as it is. Um, but it would be nice to think that greenwashing uh, is is uh, something of the past in in a year or two that we can all start to see through that more clearly and we have a government in charge or governments around the world which can actually stop relying on fossil fuel companies to support them to uh, bankroll them uh, and all that sort of lobbying that goes on and um, we choose a much more effective much more altruistic way of continuing uh, in the future. Amazing, thank you. Here endeth the lesson. That's brilliant. Thank you both so much. How are you doing, Green Committee? Uh, well, we have one last question, uh, which is, uh, due to the consequences of COVID-19, what do you think are gonna be the consequences for you and your work? And how do you think the businesses will go back uh to work like will they go back to normal or will they like be more conscious of climate change and uh, etc hmm. I'll, I'll i'll start with this one shall i my, my big hope is that we will not go back to normal my my big hope is that we will because we're all locked down at home my hope is that there will be some reflection and that people will will start to digest and consider what the lockdown has mean and I think one of the really important things that the lockdown has shown us is that, you know, all governments have said to us, you know, we can't move quickly. We can't, we'll crash the economy. Well, they can move quickly. They have got, they, they can, they can access that alarm button and they can push it because they all did it for coronavirus. And so that excuse no longer washes. Um, but, but at the moment, um, with the, with the absence of a vaccine, and although they're doing the clinical trials testings in, in Oxford at the moment, they won't have a vaccine for, you know, for some considerable months. And so all the indications are that social distancing rules will still will be applying over a period of time. And for me, that's a really, you know, we're in, we're in a, an interesting and a dangerous and precarious situation because, you know, there are questions 
around how much the economy can take before it really starts to disintegrate and how much shoring up will be done. Um, at a press conference recently, Jason Hickel, who's a, um, an expert on limitations to green growth, um, and he's a Goldsmiths College in University in London, he said his biggest fear around the outcome of coronavirus pandemic is that austerity measures will be put in place and that they will disproportionately disadvantage the most vulnerable people. And we're already seeing that, you know, we're already seeing that the people who are most um, affected by coronavirus are well, the homeless, as Steve and I were talking about recently. Um, so homeless people, people, poor people. I mean, look at people in America, you know, who, 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 who can't, you know, who can't adopt social distancing rules. So, you know, those are the poorer people who are, who are, who are going to suffer. So what will be the outcome of the coronavirus pandemic? I sincerely hope it will be a series of new values, you know, that we will, we will consider for, for ourselves as a society, a new set of values that we will, we will, much, we will value much more the, the NHS, for example, but all of those other support workers too. You know, my, my daughter is going to be going on a, a nursing placement soon. She's going to be on the front line. She's a second year student. She's going to be on the front line. Um, and I'm thinking, crikey, is she going to have the PPE? You know, is she going to be okay? Um, so we need to value, you know, we need to value the things that people do that enable us to have our nice lifestyles. Um, and I also hope that there'll be more of a spotlight on inequality, you know, because there is massive inequality in our society. And, you know, in some parts of America, it's almost like a, a third world nation. Um, and we have to we have to address that problem. So we we have got to tax the wealthy. There's no avoiding it. You know, people who are stashing their money away in tax havens, I have no patience and the government should not have any patience with them. They really shouldn't. End of sermon, sorry. <laughs> great to hear your, your opinions, Alison. Thank you so much. Do I hear mine or not really? Love to, go for it. They're, not, they're, they're probably not worth hearing. Um, no, it's not true. Will we go, will we go back to normal? Uh, like Alison, I hope not, for God's sake. Um, and, and I think, no, we won't go back to normal because, because the, economy, the global economies won't allow it to happen. Um, we are going to have to go through a period of quite a, a long period of of change and restructuring um, and a lot of companies will go broke a lot of people will lose their jobs and that's the biggest worry um, that a lot of people that are employed in in some of the companies we would like to see go under will be out of work um, and that will be in the UK and across Europe and across the globe um, one of the other things that will be majorly affected are the global supply chains that everyone has enjoyed uh, the benefits of uh, for as you know as long as you like to think of but more and more so where so much has been coming from china from india from malaysia taiwan um, you know just generally speaking um, so there, there's there's real concerns that i have and i don't want to get too involved in it now but geopolitical instability the rush for rare earth minerals for renewable energy all of these things could start to start to brew up in the background of what we come out of uh, after this but um if we look at the more positive side of it yes i think uh, what what has been highlighted so so clearly here is that people over profit is is something is a mantra which we should all be looking at more closely you know um our infrastructure our healthcare, our social systems have been poor for years and um it, it sort of galls me that people will go out and clap the nurses now on a thursday evening um and yet, you know, two years ago when it was heavily reported in the press that they were going to food banks and having to take payday loans and living in probably on the breadline just to survive and nobody really cared. Um, you know, um, there's there's huge gaps there. And, and what this pandemic has shown us is that, as Alison said, the government can do it when they want to um, and, the, and society can accept and be accepting of the changes that are needed. 
when they are told to and when they realize that actually they could die. Now, the difference with uh, coronavirus and climate change is that we've been told that if we go outside and get any uh, close to anybody that, that may have um, be carrying uh, coronavirus, then we could die quite quickly. Um, with climate change, we're told we can die, but um, you know it might not be for X amount of years, so it's not so immediate. So that doesn't sit with people so so desperately. Um, other than you know people that are really concerned about climate change. Um, so um, I think what will come out of this immediately is our our society will benefit from it. I mean we've seen homeless people taken off the street and put into accommodation why can't the, why, why didn't they do that before you know we have huge amounts of empty buildings um doing nothing they could be repurposed for uh you know homeless people for um temporary shelter um we've seen uh the the, the u.s give um medical care to people that don't have uh, medical insurance um you know we've seen countries help each other to try and um stockpile ppe equipment and they're working together on a vaccine etc so we've seen that the world can sort of work together uh, when it's required um so yeah I, I i would i would love to see that changes are implemented um we could do with different governments in certain quarters as we've already mentioned uh, I don't think this government, and over the last 10 years, a Conservative government has done a good enough job. And, and people will say, well, it's not the time to discuss it. But I think if you don't call them to account now, when is the time? Uh, you know, they, they, how, how can it be against the... Um, uh, anyway, let's not get involved in that. But so, yeah, I hope things do change. Investors will change. Investors will want to safeguard their money in the future because this is probably one pandemic of more to come in the future if we don't control climate change. Um, the, the, the links are there. Um, so yeah, we, we need to change it. Investors will change it. Governments need to change it. But it, it will take some time first and we've got to overcome the economic crisis once we come out of this one and that will be the telltale time um, as to how how we will change in the future that's great steve thank you so much i love hearing your opinion how are you doing green committee you're the only one no Sorry. it's not true stop how are you doing green committee i've just seen uh, uh, we've got eight minutes left yeah well i think well i'd just like to say oh, go. oh. Go, go, go. go for it that, uh, it was really interesting that we finished on um, on how we see the difference between this health crisis and this global crisis. And it shows that um, also if we um, tend to leave, um, to follow the path towards more sustainable careers, we could have, well, the impact and the power to have stronger choices to, to well, on positive consequences on climate justice, which is global justice for all. I would agree with that. I, I think that summarised absolutely perfectly. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, the, the, the more you can do from within, uh, the better. And it's um, changes, you know, as Alison's already said, your generation can make now. And good luck with it. I wish you well. We're all going to get my there. support. We're you haven't got my money. I don't have any, but you have my support. That's what we need. We all need mass, mass collaboration all to work together on the small things to make the big things happen i think it's that's such a great note to end on alison steve green committee thank you all so much for your time today this has been i mean i've learned loads i kind of almost want to go back and train as um a greenwashing inspector hold some people to account <laughs> go to Do small it. companies and tell them what's what i love this idea absolutely brilliant thank you all so very much and green committee i wish you all the best with with your journeys into higher education i have absolutely no doubt all of you are going to absolutely crush it whatever you decide to do alison i'm so excited to follow your work i can't wait to to see what you're going to be coming up with in transition lab and steve always it's just so great to chat to you and and hear it's your insights it's my pleasure always <laughs> my pleasure and um i don't know why you asked me i really don't have much to no, contribute you're just I'm so modest and humble. thinking thinking i wish i was alison green she's <laughs>
Uh, well, I'm, you know, thank you guys for, for having me here. They were great questions, by the way. I was really impressed with them. Um, and I, I will say to you what I say to anyone, if, if you if you want to me to come and speak again, I'm more than happy, genuinely more than happy. Amazing. One last, one last thing. Uh, you said you linked uh, a couple or a couple links to um, information about Karen Hickman and other sources. Where would, where would that be? Um, I've, I've prepared. I've, I've actually written notes. I've written some notes, and I'm going to right. send them to Francesca, and she can, she can, you can disseminate them, give them to whoever. So there's a load oh. of information in there, stuff I didn't talk about today, but the links are all there. Alison, thank you. I'll pop that in the the bio for this podcast, so anybody who'd like okay. to to have a look can can get that information there. Thank you so much for that for that. That's just wonderful. There's so many young people out there who who just need this information. Thank you all so much again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, happy Friday and hope to see you all very soon. Great. Goodbye, Thank you. Everybody. Thank you very much. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.